Would you take your Bibles with me and turn to first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, thank you to the team at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newington, Connecticut for putting the video together yesterday. Many ministries have tapped into that resource to be able to use today, and it really introduces our topic of discussion from God's Word this morning. We're going to take a break from our First John series. I thought it appropriate last night as I was preparing and studying to really uh, transition and to abandon First uh, John 3 for today and to come to some thoughts from Second Timothy. And really just in order to help us gain a proper perspective on the current situation that we're in, we're, we're certainly not interested in, in making this political, neither am I wanting to sensationalize this, um, but it does happen to be on our minds. It is something that has certainly changed our way of living from day to day. And so because of that, we, we want to make sure that all of us being affected um, and disrupted, we can properly... Um, respond biblically to what is going on in our day. I've listened, just like you, I've listened to Fox News for hours, um, even CNN for three minutes, um, and uh, to try to gain some insight. I've, I've heard the perspective from the medical professions, the newscasters, the sports world with all of their canceled events. I've watched and listened to about a hundred different pastors on Facebook. I've tried to process the variety of reactions. There are some that are are certainly dismissing and downplaying it. There are some who are exaggerating it. Um, some are using it for blame shifting toward the president or the government. Um, even some say that it's the end times being ushered in right before us. Uh, I've listened to the president of the United States. I've listened to the president of my alma mater at Bob Jones University. And these men try to assure the people under their listening ear that everything is going to be okay. I've looked at the gas lines that are all the way to the road. I've experienced empty shelves at Publix and suffered like many of you with many plans that have been changed or canceled. We've stepped up our security team here at the church to watch our bathrooms so that no one rolls out with toilet paper being smuggled <laughs> under their jackets. And so these are just some of the transitions that we're making uh, even as a church. Um, I thought I would say that with all seriousness, but I don't think I can. True story. In all seriousness, it is valid. It is something that is disrupting our lives. And if we're not careful, fear and timidness, timidity, fear and timidity can come into our hearts and to control our minds. Nobody wants to be controlled by uncertainty. Nobody wants their life to be unchecked by doubt. And so that's why as God's people, we can find great assurance and great confidence from his word. And when this type of fear that can potentially build up, when it goes unchecked, it is followed by a lack of proper perspective. And then really it can build into an, an enormous insecurity, which ultimately is going to lead to defeat in our Christian life. Now, there are a lot of great texts that we could come to in the scriptures to discuss about this fear and how we should respond in the moments of uncertainty and doubt. But I love this text that Paul wrote to a very overwhelmed Timothy. And when we think about this topic of fear, why fear today? Why, why transition in the last hour from 1 John 3, which you've got your handouts in the bulletin, um, why jump boat and go somewhere else? Well, number one, the Holy Spirit's leading and prompting always was what is our guide. 
But it's also because this topic of fear is one that paralyzes us. It stifles our Christian growth. It restrains us from doing and fulfilling what God has called us to do. Fear can cause us to limit our outreach and our interaction with people. Fear causes us to miss out really on the adventures and the blessings that God has in store. And if fear is given an inch, it will take control of us and it will abuse us. And so today, if fear is trying its very best to control or constrict you, my encouragement for all of us would be to meditate on the truths of this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy to see what it means to us. How does that connect to us and relate to us today? And so as you see here in your Bible, the copy of your scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this morning, we're going to look at this message entitled, Fear Less. Father, we look for your guidance this morning on our topic. And Lord, we know that many of us, if not all of us, have been in a spirit of of prayer for so much of what is going on. And today, it's not that we want to beat a dead horse. We just want to rally together as your church to make sure that we individually are responding responding properly, but then corporately as a church, making sure that we are putting into practice what we preach so fanatically so often. And so today, we consecrate ourselves to the understanding of your word. Guide us with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text here in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we know that the word fear comes from a Greek word that means this word timidness, timidity. And really, this form of this word is very strong. It's a really in-your-face kind of term. Now, this would have been one that um, it was denoting cowardness. It was one that was a shameful fear caused by a weak, selfish character. And many of us in here, we'd say, well, I don't want to have a coward fear. or I'm certainly not working off of weakness or trying to work off of a selfish character. But that's what this word is really bringing to light to us, is that when we allow fear to overcome our, our, our countenance and, and we're being guided by this uncertainty, we are allowing a very selfish spirit to rule us. I'll be honest with you, I'm there where you are in this week. Uh, there were some things that were coming down the channel as things were being canceled. Um, we had tickets, the pastoral team were going to some March Madness games on Thursday And first round, we had great seats. We were so excited. And then they throw it out that the tournament is canceled. Well, you know, in your own way, you kind of respond to that as like, come on, let's just, you know, whoever wants to brave it, let's brave it. Let's just make it happen. Then all of a sudden, you had schools canceling. Churches were shutting down. And and people's lives were being disrupted. Some of you with your work, Mike, you're out of work for a couple of weeks as he's a photographer at Disney World. So there's several things that are just really disruptive to our flow and our lives. And there were some days there where you could even ask Natalie, my wife, she, was, she could tell that I was in a little bit of a funk. I was trying to figure things out and probably didn't help watching Fox News for all those times. Or maybe the funk came from those three minutes on CNN. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, that's where I was. And so bringing a text like this back to my thoughts and back to my heart is a huge reminder that God's got this under control. And this doesn't have to be bigger than what it is. 
And let's just go day by day, step by step, and let's walk through this. Now, remember what Timothy is facing. That's why Paul had to write such a very strong word. And by the way, this word fear in this text, it's the only time it's used, this particular Greek word, all throughout the New Testament. Now, there's other words of fear and and there's other words of afraid, yes. But this particular one was such a strong emphasis of being reminded of the cowardness or the, the, the action coming from a weak and selfish heart or character is one that Paul was having to write to Timothy. Think about what Timothy was facing in his leadership role at his church. He was a young pastor, and it was a very hostile time. There were uh, these threats coming from the Roman Empire, which was escalating under Nero. And this was a very real threat that Timothy is having to work through as a local shepherd of the church. There was the hostility of the Ephesian church that he was pastoring who resented his leadership. So he's got the outside crashing in on him. He has the inside imploding on him. And then there were the assaults of false teachers trying to permeate the church and bring these false, sophisticated systems of deception, these these methods. And so here is Timothy. Now, I'm thinking of those three things. Do I relate to Timothy? I really don't. I'm thankful that we don't have an outside persecution that is trying to come and to eliminate. Do we, do we face some obstruction in the society we live? Yeah, sure we do. But we, we're not being threatened to close down. We're not being threatened with our lives. And also, Timothy was facing some, some, some disruption from within. And I'm thankful for a unified church body. I'm thankful for the love that we express for one another and the unity that we have around the gospel. And then as he faced this false teaching assault coming into their church, I'm thankful that God continues to protect his local body and that we will be continue to be very careful about any sophisticated system of deception that tries to come into the church. So if all of these things are happening to Timothy, that's why Paul is writing to encourage him. And here's really what we learn about this. The first word here in this verse, we understand this fear, this timidity, this this attitude of, of, of what is completely opposite of God. And here's how he says your attitude should be to respond. The first one is, is power. God's not given us a spirit or an attitude of, of fear, but rather of power. And that is this connection to the Holy Spirit. This power denotes a, a great force and energy. It is God providing this power in order for us to accomplish his service in a very effective way. When you look at the circumstance, it is really easy to think that all is defeated, but really God with the Holy Spirit's power and connection inside of us is willing and wanting to propel us forward with great energy, with great motion, with great service, with great intention. And that we not just sit by and let it all flow, flow by us, and we don't jump on one bandwagon that criticizes everything and everyone, nor do we jump on the bandwagon that buys every stinking roll of toilet paper and think the world's going to end. We've got to find where the proper balance is that says, I have this power with the Holy Spirit living inside of me, that I continue to move forward with it. God has called me to serve. Now, that doesn't mean this this moment then calls for us to be defiant of suggestions that come down. 
It doesn't mean that the church goes out to be rogue and stand as a lighthouse, though everything around us shuts down and people are falling like uh, left and right, and we're just going to continue forward. No, the idea here is that within our lives, we have that connection that God will give us the courage and strength to do what he's called us to do. And what that power does is, is it gives us great comfort Do you remember this connection with the Holy Spirit? Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 26, he said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and he'll bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So I'm thankful for the active work of the Holy Spirit. You understand, though, with the active work of comfort from the Holy Spirit is also going to come the active work of conviction from the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we have really bad attitudes or things we say or harm that we've done. That's the Spirit's conviction because of our connection. He's going to give us the ability to own up to it, to work things out, and to move past that. But then he also brings this divine power of comfort to us. And it is very effective in helping us in moments like this. The power helps us to overcome doubt, helps us to overcome failure and weaknesses. When you think about the doubts that may be happening, what we think is God, can he do anything mightily through this? I mean, how will God be glorified through this situation? Or we might even doubt that, that God's going to provide for his church. And maybe we say, well, this is, this is certainly something that's going to rattle the cage of the church, and we won't, we won't be able to rebound after that. Uh, maybe we would have great doubts and fear, and, and we would say, man, we were on such a great train of momentum. We were at uh, 220 and 240 on an every given Sunday, and now all of a sudden this thing's hitting, and people are having to quarantine, and people are saying, I'm going to stay home, and people say, I don't want to sit in the same section as that person, and all of a sudden things kind of just change with those dynamics. And so we can't doubt. We can't doubt that God won't provide for his church. We, we sometimes will doubt that everything will be stable during this worldwide pandemic. We doubt that we can really stay calm and focused. And the power that works in us will overcome doubt. But then this failure, we say, maybe I've been down this road before. Some of you who are a little bit older, um, we call you seasoned people in here. And, uh, and you've seen all the ups and downs of all the things that have happened. And oh yeah, I get it. There's the chart that shows on one hand, every two years, there's this flu and there's this virus and there's this epidemic and, and uh, there's this thing that's going to take place and everybody's ah, so alar- alarmed. And, and uh, yeah, you've been through that before. And so you would say, well, it's always failed. Everything's going to crash and burn and hopefully we'll rec- recover. But the power that we have connected to the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome the thoughts of these failures. We neglect to see that our past failures, that even in our own life, they've been forgiven, they've been paid for, and they're no longer issued on our account because God has seen Jesus Christ take care of that. The comfort or this incredible power also overcomes our weaknesses. And we need to overlook these weaknesses and see how God will use us in these times. Secondly, in the verse... We see that God has not given this spirit or this attitude of fear, of timidity, but of power and of love. This is living like Jesus. You see, at the time of salvation, we not only receive this power from God with the Holy Spirit, but we also receive the ability to love like Jesus loves. Paul wrote to the church in Rome and he said, 
And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So we can love people in the midst of this. Anybody been to the grocery store within the last two or three days? That's an opportunity to love people, an opportunity to understand that somebody is really stressed out and and facing some uncertain situations. Somebody might butt in front of you in the grocery line. Somebody may take that last package of Reese peanut butter cups right in front of you. Yeah, I'm okay though. You guys really helped me out last week with my birthday. I have over 120 Reese peanut butter cups to last me from now until the rapture. Okay, so I'm, I'm good. No more Reese peanut butter cups. Reese peanut butter cups mean a lot to me. They're very comforting. But you know what's more comforting to me now is a uh, Jeep Wrangler four-door. Um, I'll just be honest with you. Like if I had that, I... That'd be really good. So no more Reese peanut butter cups. You just pray about that Jeep, okay? <laughs> so this love is something that we're having to exhibit now. It is something that we're not going to receive from others. People who are stressed, people who are scared, people who are doubtful, or people who are over the top. And so we find ourselves being able to be balanced. And we're not going to be bad citizens Uh, We're going to be supportive citizens. Uh, We're going to respect the authority that God has placed over us, and we're going to look to them, and we'll use our discernment through the scriptures uh, of the word of the the scripture to help us to make good decisions. So the description of this kind of love can be best described as that which is is characterized by self-denial and self-sacrifice, and it is done for the benefit of others. That's a sign of true Christianity. When we look at the fruit and the evidence of the Spirit of God living within us and working through us, it talks about that kind of love. That love is what is fueled by self-sacrifice and self-denial. But you know, also in the midst of uncertainty, it helps us to be reminded of the love that God gives to us. I recently came across a song that was sent to me in the mail. It's called No Fear in Love. And it's by Anna Christina Prather, actually one of my dear friends, Rand Hummel's daughter. And I've been listening to the song over and over again, and you come to the chorus. And before I tell you the chorus, here's what she said about writing this song. She said, no fear in love is a picture of feeling completely surrounded and trapped in an internal war where struggle and pain seem to be closing in from all sides where one is desperate for a miraculous rescue, but hope is running out as the enemy gets closer. She goes on to say, I wanted to write this song as a reminder to myself that even in those desperate times, God always shows up every time. And we don't have to be afraid of the things that we cannot handle on our own. The chorus of the song says, there's no fear in love, and love is surrounding us. Standing here with you, watching mountains move, all my fears disappear out of you because you have overcome. You have overcome. That love gives us motivation, desire, and burden. It is that love which propels us forward. It looks beyond ourself and says, how can I help others. What I love and appreciate so much about a church family like this is that in a moment of uncertainty and and confusion, 
we're looking to see to be a help and a blessing to others. And within the church office, we're looking to, to engage our church family with that. And if you have some ideas and ways, I know some people are offering going grocery shopping for uh, some of the more uh, seasoned parts of our congregation. Um, tonight, the reason why we are suspending PM services is that usually our older crowd feels the obligation anytime the church doors are open, I am there. Bless God, whatever's going on, I will be there. And we love and appreciate that about you. But sometimes we need to back up a little bit with our schedule and give time for um, safety, protection. Um, some of you are going to need to wash your elbows this afternoon and just really do a lot of that. And so um, we're constantly trying to think of how do we put, uh, our, uh, put others before ourselves. And so before you have quick reactions to things that are being done because it affects you, um, conferences that are being canceled, um, exciting things that I wanted to be a part of, uh, our girls being in school and not home all day. Uh, these are important things to just the continuity and the, and the function of norm, normality in your home. And so when those things are disrupted, you can have a very personal response to that. And usually your personal response is, how does this negatively affect me? And so we've got to make sure we think of one another and we think of how our neighbors are being affected, how our family members are being affected, how our church body, and that is this love. Now also, don't forget, we can't move past this because when we think about this love with motivation, desire, and burden, it's also a great opportunity to speak the love of God into somebody's life. This is an opportunity for you to be calm, collective, and stable and speak truth. Don't minimize people's feelings and emotions. That's not going to get you anywhere with the power and love of the gospel. And so you partner with people through their journey, but you give them your story and your assurance why you find great hope in the midst of turmoil is because of Jesus Christ. And so with great passion, desire, and burden, you're like Jesus with his disciples in John chapter 4 when he would look over across the harvest fields that were beginning to sprout up with new growth. And he said, gentlemen, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white. They are ripe, all ready to harvest. Now, if you remember the story in John 4, I believe this was probably even a moment where Jesus was looking over the city of Sychar and saw people who needed the gospel. Because as the men were going to go into town for lunch, he was not concerned with them to just rake up the harvest for food to eat, but rather to see the eyes of those that they would interact with in town and see that this was a harvest that was ripe and ready for the gospel. Jesus would do the very same thing with the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus was ready and he spoke truth into her life which brought great change and transformation. And so for us, we want to live like Jesus with this kind of love. And so we're self-sacrificing, we're self-denying so that we can be at the benefit of other people. So look to see how you can share the truth of the gospel in this time. The third and last thought here in this verse, God has not given us a spirit, the attitude of fear, but of love, of power, of love, and of sound mind. So we see this thought of self-control. It's making wise decisions by God's leading. This refers to a disciplined, self-controlled, and properly prioritized mind. 
It is the complete opposite of fear, which causes disorder and confusion. And so Paul is urging Timothy, and he even continues in the letter. Uh, look at chapter 2 and verse number 4, because Paul's going to write some more thoughts on this thought. And he says, don't be entangled. He says, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so we see his warning here to give up the worldly entanglements because they're like the, the thorns that are choking the word of God in your heart. What are the entanglements that you're facing right now that you want to just war against? Your spirit is to, is to just attack it. And so you're just ready to attack, but you're, you are entangling yourself. You're warring against things that are causing you to be distracted from what God is leading you to be. So sometimes you need to be a little bit more patient with your response. Sometimes maybe it's just calming your spirit and, and asking specifically for God to give you his leading and his wisdom. The worldly entanglements are real. They hinder us from investing in God's work. They hinder us from hearing from the Lord. They are clear distractions in our life. And so how can we, how can we achieve the, the spiritually disciplined, self-controlled, and properly prepared mind? We just do it step by step and little by little. Remember what we've been saying now for the last several weeks, maybe even a month now, is that spiritual decline is inevitable if spiritual renewal is not intentional. And so it will happen. We're going to fall to pieces and fall apart unless we are intentional on renewing the spirit of our mind. And we just do that little by little. Hey, this week, more news is going to come out. I saw it this morning. Natalie keeps up with it and and uh, she told me yesterday, 70-something cases in Florida. This morning, article says 150 plus. So yeah, we can consume our mind with all the details, and it can distract us. That's an entanglement. Not bad, unless we let it entangle our spirit and mind. So what we do in moving forward is we find God to remind us of his truth and give us his leading so that we make better decisions. Matt's, um, Matt Smethurst is a managing editor of the Gospel Coalition, and this week he published a short article, and uh, this is what he wrote. He says, it's now clear that the COVID-19, the coronavirus, is a deadly, serious global pandemic, and all necessary precautions should be taken. He says, still, C.S. Lewis's words, which were written 72 years ago, ring with some relevance for us. He says, just replace in the article the term atomic bomb with the word coronavirus. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote some 72 years ago. Now again, atomic bomb was a very fearful concerning things. Some of you would have remembered 72, 80 years ago, however long that was, but you'll remember this. But this is what he says in the article, I've substituted the word coronavirus he says, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the coronavirus. How are we to live in a coronavirus age? He says, I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at any night, or indeed, as you already live in an age of cancer 
an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the coronavirus was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. Hmm, thank you, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> he says, we had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by a coronavirus, let that virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, and chatting to our friends. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about viruses. They may break our bodies, which a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Dominating our minds... Let's continue on, church. Let's be busy doing God's work. Adjusting, yes. In transitions, yes. But let's make sure not to be consumed by what's going on, that we become so doubtful and fearful. So together, let's fear less.